So I want to welcome everyone back. And if it works for you to have your video on, it's nice for me to be able to see people as I um, speak more of a sense of uh, community. So if that works for you, that would be much appreciated. So I want to talk today and that will lead us to into a discussion as well. I want to talk today about um, a theme related to our practice that is really crucial for me, almost at the, the center of my own practice. And I'll introduce this theme by saying that um, about six or seven years ago, I gave a talk, I think, to this uh, Wednesday morning gathering at Spirit Rock. And I said, um, today, I'm going to talk about the most important of all possible spiritual topics. And I said that. And then I asked people, what do you think I'm going to talk about? And I'm not going to ask you, but I'll just re repeat uh, some of the answers. So people answered... Well, love. Someone else said compassion. Someone else said awareness. Someone else said joy. Someone said impermanence. Someone said skillful action. Another one said meditation. Another person said balance. Another person said humor. And those were all uh, quite good answers for important topics. But um, wasn't what I was going to be talking about. At least not directly. And the, uh, the answer that I gave for the most important of all possible spiritual topics is how we make practice alive in our daily lives how we make practice alive in the entirety of our lives in the particular cultures we live in with the challenges of daily life in that culture. And later, I was asked if we would, could have a write-up of uh, part of my talk, and it, it was part of the uh, Spirit Rock newsletter that went out. And in fact, it was, it was the uh, cover, what, featured article. And so it was right on the cover. Uh, it had, had these words. Donald Rothberg, comma, the most important of all possible spiritual topics. And my mom liked that. <laughs> so interesting ambiguity, right? <laughs> anyway, I think, but in any case, um, that's what I want to explore. And it's, um, it's a challenging area. You know, there was, uh, I remember seeing a cartoon of like uh, two seekers at a crossroads in the mountains, and they were looking at a sign and wondering what to do. And on the sign, one direction, it pointed to enlightenment. And the other sign pointed in the opposite direction, and it said, daily life. Whoa, right, so, and yet, uh, suggesting that kind of uh, tension between maybe our deepest aspirations and daily life. And this, this is a, a tension which we can very much find uh, in the insight meditation tradition generally as it's developed in the West. That uh, it's mostly focused, even though we have groups like this, we have a lot of what we sometimes call sitting groups, which is an interesting phrase. We have weekly groups where people might gather together and have sitting meditation and talk and discuss things. 
but the kind of the center as it's developed of the insight meditation tradition has been more the retreats that we offer, which are focused on intensive meditation and have their own lineage. And in talks I gave maybe, I don't know, six or seven years ago, I talked about some of the lineage and where the whole tradition of retreats came from, uh, particularly out of Burma, uh, as, a, as, as things evolved uh, in Burma. Uh, but it's, it's, um, the retreats have been wonderful, and I personally love retreats very much. I've spent a good chunk of my life on retreat, but there's not typically a strong focus on daily life, even though retreats can have a big impact on daily life, as, as many of us know. But typically the focus is on the intensity of the retreat. And then at the end of the retreat, we get maybe one talk. And what I'm saying is partly a critique of myself as well. We might have one talk about how to apply what we've learned to daily life. And then more or less the teachers say, It'd be really good if you could keep this going in daily life. Good luck. Anyone had that experience, something like that? Right. And so I think we haven't really understood really so well how to integrate uh, these retreats in daily life. And then in a monastic situation, maybe in Asia, such as in Thailand, perhaps, we wouldn't have the same issues. Uh, there's not as much a focus on retreats. It's really on making it real. Think of someone, some of the, uh, particularly some of the monasteries led by teachers like Achen Cha in the past from Thailand. There'd be more of an emphasis on integration. Uh, and as I think this is a particular issue for, uh, for Westerners. I, I wanted to read a little bit of a story uh, this is of a Western monk who was studying with uh, Achan Cha. Uh, some of you may know the name Achan Semedo. He was uh, someone from the U.S. who went, who I think he was in the Peace Corps, and then he went to Thailand, wanted to study meditation, and found the great Thai teacher Achan Cha, who I personally got to study with for a short period of time. And he lived at the monastery for a number of years and then came back and founded monasteries in uh, Britain, where he is now. He's in his late 70s, I believe. So let's show the image now, Toland. This is an image of, you can see, Achan uh, Cha. That's Achan Cha sitting. This is probably from the, uh, probably from around 1970 or so. This is Achan Cha in front, the great uh, teacher. Behind him is Achan Semedo, uh, and to, on the right part of our picture, there is a young monk who happens to be Jack Cornfield in his younger version. So the story I'm going to tell is about Achan Semedo and Achan Cha. Okay, so we can let go of the slide. So here's the story. Achan Cha's method of teaching emphasized formal meditation to quite a great extent, but he was also extremely keen on not making the formal meditation distinct from the rest of life. By the way, I'm reading from a book by uh, Chan Amaro Bhikkhu, who is also a British, he's a British monk who lives in Britain now, uh, Small Boat, Great Mountain, which is a very interesting book. It's actually about the similarities between the teachings of the Thai forest tradition and Tibetan tradition. Okay, so we'll go back. Um, Achan Cha was also extremely keen on not making the formal meditation distinct from the rest of life. He spoke about maintaining a continuity of practice, whether one was walking, standing, sitting, or lying down. The same was true for eating, using the bathroom, and working. The point was always to sustain a continuity of awareness. He used to say, if your peace rests on the meditation mat, when you leave the mat, you leave your peace behind. Achan Cha was once given a piece of forested land on a hilltop in his home province. This is in Thailand. The very generous supporter who had donated it to, 
it to him, said, If you can find a way to make a road up the top of the mountain, I will build a monastery there for you. Always up to the challenge, uh, Achen Cha spent a week or two on the mountain and found a pathway up. He then moved the entire monastic community out there to make the road. So they were all, all going to be working. Achan Samedo was a recently arrived monk. He had been there a year or two by this time and was a very serious meditator. He hadn't been keen to leave the settled life at the main monastery um, at Wat Nong Papong, but he joined in and there he was, breaking rocks in the sun, pushing barrows of rubble around, and working hard with the rest of the community. After two or three days, he was getting hot, sweaty, and cranky. We have a cranky monk. <laughs> At the end of the day, after a 12-hour shift, everyone would sit down to meditate and would be reeling. Achan Sumedo thought, this is useless. I'm wasting my time. My meditation has fallen apart completely. This is not helping the holy life at all. He carefully explained his concerns to Achan Cha. I'm finding that all the work we were doing is harmful to my meditation. I really think it would be much better for me if I didn't take part in it. I need to do more sitting and walking meditation, more formal practice. That would be very helpful for me, and it's what I think would be for the best. You probably can get a sense of where the story is going. <laughs> right? Achan Cha said, Okay, Sumedo, yes, you can do that but I'd better inform the other community members so that everyone knows what's happening. <laughs> he could be really wicked in that way. At the, at the meeting of the community, he said, I want to make an announcement to everybody. Now, I know we have all come up here to make this road, and I know that we are all working hard at breaking rocks and carrying gravel. I know this is important work for us to do, but the work of meditation is also very important. Uh, Sumedho has asked me if he can practice meditation while we build the road. And I told him that this is absolutely all right. I do not want any of you to think any critical thoughts of him. It is absolutely all right with me. He can stay alone and meditate, and we will continue building the road. So they, Achan Cha was out there from dawn to dusk. When he wasn't working on the road, he was receiving guests and teaching them. So he was really cranking it out. In the meantime, Achan Sumedho stayed alone and meditated. He felt pretty bad on the first day, and even worse on the second. By the third day, he couldn't stand it any longer. He felt tortured, and finally left his solitude. He rejoined the monks, broke rocks, carried gravel, and really gave himself to the work. Achan Cha looked at the enthusiastic young monk with a foot-wide grin and asked, Enjoying the work, Sumedho? <laughs> Yes, Lung Poor, that was his name for the teacher. Yes, isn't it strange that your mind is happier now in the heat and the dust than it was when you were meditating alone? Uh, yes, Lung Poor. The lesson, uh, Achan Samedo had created a false division about what meditation is and isn't, and when in fact there is no division at all. When we give our hearts, this is Achan Amaro speaking, when we give our hearts to whatever we do, whatever we experience or what is happening around us without personal agenda or preferences taking over, the space of awareness is exactly the same. So I, lo I love that story, right? And it's really pointing to uh, something very important, but it's actually can be, uh, can be very challenging. Uh, the, Bo the Buddha in the teachings we have seem to suggest that if you really wanted to develop spiritual practice, you should go to a monastery. You know, he said that the, the, the life of a lay person, he, he said it is dusty and crowded. And he, you know, he suggested that the real work would be done in a monastery. And I, I remember uh, hearing that when I when I stayed uh, for short periods at monasteries in Thailand, I remember going to one of them, and I had actually gone to Thailand to be part of a meeting of people who were inter interested in what we call engaged Buddhism or engaged practice of 
connecting uh, inner work with social service and social change. And I went to a meeting of people actually from all over the world uh, connected with that that was held at a monastery in Thailand. And then I had about a month where I stayed in uh, monasteries. And uh, there were actually at the uh, gathering of people interested in engaged Buddhism, we had quite a few uh, monks and nuns there. Uh, and people from, uh, you know, people from multiple countries, including a lot of people who were, um, this was in the 1990s, who were uh, actually from Burma. And, you know, at that time, too, there were all sorts of issues with the Burmese government and a lot of repression and so forth. And I remember going to one monastery in uh, northern Thailand, which was where the main teacher was Achan Mahabua. And I met uh, an English monk there named Achan Panawado, and I would uh, talk with him every day. And he, um, he basically told me that, you know, social service and social action is nice, but if you really want spiritual development, you should go to a monastery. And I, I think I really, uh, I, didn't, I don't think I believe that. And I think, you know, my life and many of ours is actually somehow wanting to have a depth of practice in daily life, but it's not easy. There's not as much support as there might be in a monastery, right, or in a retreat. So, and yet, uh, probably all of us here are wanting to have depth of spiritual practice and have it be there in daily life. And so how do we do that? We could also name that there are a lot of what we might call cultural and spiritual, um, I should say cultural and social uh, challenges. Daily life in the West is, uh, can get very busy. Anyone feel sometimes overly busy? And how many people feel overly busy, even if you might be retired? That happened, right? Look at those hands. Right? It's really interesting, right? It's it's like a habit. And I, I like to repeat the the uh, what I heard from a Japanese friend, that the Japanese phrase for being busy is this. The, 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 uh, the figures translate as the soul dies. Pretty intense, right? That's the Japanese term for, for being busy. And, you know, and we could look at, a, at Western culture and almost think that there's a very, very strong interest in distraction, right? You know, I mean, people were distracted before the internet. And look, the internet adds, what, a thousand or a million layers of distraction possible, right? Or all the electronic devices. So it's not, it's challenging, right? It's hard, right? How do we, how do we navigate this? How do we navigate it also when we're, you know, we have uh, multiple social challenges, challenges and crises from the, from the pandemic to racism, to climate change, to economic inequality, right? We could name others as well, right? Um, actually, I would say that what will most help us with these challenges is people who integrate spiritual practice with daily life and with responding to the crises. That would be my actual answer to that, you know, which we, we sometimes look at in these Wednesday mornings. So... This is, uh, again, this is, um, this is a big thing to, to really aspire to bring in uh, daily life, uh, bring in our practice to daily life and have it be strong. So how do we do it? You know, I'll say some things, and I'm sure in the discussion, some of you can really share what's been helpful for you. And I'm thinking, we'll see how this goes. I'm thinking of also... Uh, going into this next week. And what I'd like to do is give some practices that we could do in the next week so that we might have a sense of uh, support for deepening daily life practice from our gathering. And we could know that we could come back next week and continue with that emphasis. So what are a few ways of uh, deepening daily life practice? And I'll just mention a few, and then I think I'm going to focus 
on one in particular, which we might look at uh, especially for next week. But I want to, uh, as I mention a few of these, listen for what resonates with you that might help deepen daily pra uh, practice, daily life practice. So for many of us, it might be simply the cutting edge might be to have a regular formal practice, you know, that we may not have a regular formal practice where it might be quite brief. So really a starting point might be that might help us with daily life practice is just have more, uh, more of a regular formal practice. That might be where you want to start, right? Uh, and if you want to start, you can make a very strong commitment. If it's not regular, make a very strong commitment for this next week. You know, do it, uh, as we say in, in English, uh, come hell or high water. Uh, I don't know what that phrase is, Audrey, in French, but you probably have a counterpart, yeah? Yeah, something like that, I don't know. Uh, come hell or high water means you have a very strong commitment, very, very strong. And, um, and so do that for the next week if that's, uh, if that's what most appeals to you. Uh, another really uh, interesting support is in addition to uh, daily sitting, is to find maybe one or two or three times during the day when you pause, when you stop, and you just uh, cultivate some awareness. You stop for a while, maybe you stop for five minutes, you uh, do a little bit of meditation, or you just try to be present. Or it might be that you bring, you have uh, ways of bringing awareness into some regular activities that you do every day or that you want to do. So, for example, uh, you know, during the pandemic, uh, I've been uh, generally, you know, for exercise, I, I go swimming typically three times a week. And on the days when I'm not swimming, and sometimes also when I am swimming, I do, uh, I take walks. Typically when I'm not doing any other exercise, uh, two 15-minute walks a day, you know, just around where I live. And those are always times of uh, awareness or practice, right? You know, and you could find, you know, if you take walks, have it really be focused on cultivating awareness, something like that. Or find an activity that you do regularly. It could be cooking, or washing the dishes or doing some cleanup could be brushing one's teeth and just make a commitment you might say for the next week uh, for maybe just one or two of them not too much we don't want to try to do too much when we're getting this going we want to just have a few ways that we're uh, increasing it so you might say for the next week every time I clean up after eating I will do it with awareness, without distraction, something like that, you know, or, or I will brush my teeth or whatever, take a shower and do it with awareness, something like that. So finding pauses to uh, bring awareness, finding particular activities. Of course, another support that's quite important is having the support of a community like, like ours. You know, if you have one or two or three times a week where you join with other people who are also interested in a life of awareness and wisdom and compassion, that will, of course, support uh, daily practice. Um, some others, which I'll go into in more depth, probably one next week, you could work with a particular teaching that you really pay attention to for a week. You know, and I'm suggesting maybe to start, start with the ones that I've already mentioned, if you want to start. And I would, you know, work with one or two of those in the next week. But I'll just mention a few others that are supportive. You could work with a teaching. You know, I think, you know, you might work with a teaching of uh, wise speech, really, and really try to have skillful speech, bring that into your speaking, or work with a teaching about, um, you know, kindness, bring more kindness into your 
uh, the, the, your, your daily life. You know, I actually, um, when I go swimming, I think I probably mentioned this before, when I go swimming, I actually do loving kindness practice when I do laps. It's really nice, very nice. And I, you know, I do uh, one being per lap. <laughs> and I have, I kind of have a routine where I have actually, I typically swim like eight laps at a time and then I stop and rest for a while. And I have actually have 16 different beings that I bring loving kindness to, one per lap. You know, so, and uh, it's, it, it works, it works. Um, so you can find something like that. Uh, you could work with loving kindness or you could maybe uh, work with looking for where you uh, get stuck in a story, you know, when you get and really, you know, set your intention in the morning. If I get stuck in a story, I'm going to try to notice that, you know, and, and work with it. So. And of course, we can also do uh, reading or listen to talks. That can be very, very supportive of of daily practice. Uh, I'll mention just one one more that has been important for me, and that is taking maybe one day a week, or it could be one day every two weeks, but it could be one day a week, and have it be a little bit different from the other days. This is like a a Sabbath practice, where one day a week, and it could be the weekend or it could be another day, maybe where you take two or three hours, or it could be the whole day, but it could just be you take two or three hours once a week, have it be regular, and you have a little more practice than usual. Maybe you do a sitting, you do some reading, you take a walk and do another sitting, and maybe that's your two hours. But if you do that once a week, again, I'm, I'm suggesting just to listen for what resonates with you, not to do all the things I mentioned, just to listen for one or two things. But I want to name that because that can be really valuable. Have a Sabbath practice. For me, most of the last 35 years, I've done a Sabbath. I've had a Sabbath uh, one day a week. Uh, when we were meeting uh, at Spirit Rock, it would, it would typically be Wednesday. I would go to Spirit Rock, uh, teach as I'm teaching now, but I'd be at Spirit Rock, and then I would stay at Spirit Rock the rest of the day and do practice and join in, you know, I'd sit in the staff area during a retreat and have another six, seven hours of practice. And doing that one day a week made a huge difference in my own mind, you know, my own heart. So those are some ways and just listen for what is most helpful for you. And then I wanted to mention a really foundational practice and say a little bit more about this. And this could be something else that appeals to you. And this is the uh, practice uh, in daily life of cultivating mindfulness of the body, of having awareness of the body. And we know that mindfulness of the body is one of the capacities that we develop in our formal meditation. You know, being with the breath is a form of mindfulness of the body. Being with sensations in the body is a form of mindfulness in the body. But what I have found both in personal experience and in teaching is how crucial for daily life having awareness of the body is. I think it's sort of common sense because most of us live in a very, very mental culture, right? We're with electronic devices, we're with emails, messages, information, uh, books. It's very easy to be mostly thinking all the time, right? In fact, I remember uh, uh, one of the teachers I studied with in Thailand, Achan Buddha Dasa, was once asked, what do you think of Western civilization? And he, his answer was, lost in thought, <laughs> right? How many can relate to that, right? And... Uh, and so, again, with all the, and it's probably intensified with, uh, again, with the internet and all the different electronic devices. And so we can be almost living in what I, what I sometimes call um, the automatic mind. You know, just be much of our day 
is with the automatic mind. And, you know, in itself, it's, it's not necessarily bad. You know, we could be thinking very good thoughts, very helpful thoughts, doing good work, right? Um, but we're not necessarily aware. We're not necessarily aware of emotions, of our bodies, and it, it limits us, you know. And this was, before I started meditating, this was totally how my mind was. I, I was a, a student when I first started meditating, and I was thinking all the time, and I thought that's what I was supposed to do, and I got in the habit, right? And I think I, I knew I actually had a sensitive heart and strong emotions, because in high school, during driver ed movies, I used to sometimes cry. And I knew, and this was not usual, you know, and I knew that I had kind of a, a, an open heart, but it was just, it was thinking all the time. That was uh, more my experience. And so when I started meditating, awareness of the body was like a revelation, right? And uh, being able to see a tree, be with a sunset, be with a flower, be with another person without being caught in thought was revelatory, was uh, amazing, right? How many of you have had similar experiences just being able to wake up to, you know, you know, some people use the phrase in English, come to our senses, which is, is literally what we're doing. We're coming back to our senses, which, have, you know, of course, we always had them, but they get obscured by that automatic mind. And so one of the ways that we cut through the automatic mind is through mindfulness of the body. In fact, it's, a, it's really a primary way that we do that. When we can be aware of the body, we can actually point to what we're really pointing to is not to get rid of the mind, of course, or even to suppress the mind. But what we're wanting to do is open up to the parts of experience which in a way have been suppressed because the mind is so dominant, right? And so what we're looking for in the long run is, is what we might call integration, the mind and heart and body being integrated so that we can have all of the benefits of each of their, uh, each of what's valuable by each of them and have them be integrated, but not so that one part of our being dominates everything, right? Which is, is what I think what has happened in many ways. And so mindfulness of the body is something we train for in meditation we learn how to do it again. For me, it was amazing to actually be able to spend time on my breath, be aware of my body and walking meditation, and it changed everything. I said, whoa, you know, look at that. I can actually experience my senses for a sustained period. And so we can, you know, we can train in further mindfulness of the body and it can be helpful. And there, you know, there are different ways of uh, practicing mindfulness of the body. Just being with the breath is an important training. Coming back to the breath is training in mindfulness of the body. Doing walking meditation where we're with our body continually, we use, we use the awareness of the body like we do the breath, where I'm with my body as I'm walking, maybe with my feet or my legs or the whole body, when my mind wanders, I come back. We're training ourselves to be aware of the body. We could do the same if we do one of the practices I mentioned earlier, like being mindful when we wash the dishes or brush our teeth or take a shower, take a walk and so forth. And one of the reasons that mindfulness of the body is so important is that eventually we can, it can be possible to be mindful of the body at the same time that we're talking or thinking or listening. You know, again, I've sometimes said one of my practices in giving these talks is to keep with mindfulness of the body as I'm speaking, right? And you can also have some mindfulness of the body as you listen. One of the ways to practice would be just having awareness of your hands 20% of your attention as you listen to me. Have your awareness of your feet, or if, you're, if you've done a lot of body practices, maybe yoga or qigong or some forms of athletics, 
maybe uh, mindfulness of the body is easier and you could actually be aware of the whole body as you listen. And it could be 20-30% of the body. This is also a practice that you can do in talking with people. You can listen to someone, especially if you're in a role where you're listening more, like right now, or if you're at a meeting where you're primarily listening, you can actually say, I'm going to use this time partly to develop mindfulness of the body. You can do that and listen to what's going on in the meeting, take notes, whatever, but be ha, have the some awareness of your body. And what, what that really can do is it, uh, it starts making possible the integration. It starts making possible for us to be talking or thinking but not shut off all the rest of our experience or shut off access to all the rest of our experience. So we can be in a conversation. Maybe we're at a family gathering, which I've started again, most many parts of the world. <laughs> uh, we could be at a family gathering, be talking, but if we have some mindfulness of the body, I can notice if I start getting upset or reactive Mindfulness of the body makes it easier to notice my emotions. It makes it easier to notice different parts of my experience. And so we can practice, you know, all of what we're doing with mindfulness of the body, that I, all the different tools I mentioned, will help us to um, move towards that integration. It takes time because the conditioning to have that automatic mind is very, very strong. So we have to have a lot of patience, right, with mindfulness of the body. Again, some of us probably have already been developing mindfulness of the body a lot. Maybe in, again, it could be in practicing yoga or doing a lot of walking meditation or how many people have actually in some ways already been practicing mindfulness of the body significant amount. Yeah, so what I'm saying can really add on to that. That's great. And a more advanced practice, I'll just name it right now, that uh, I did for about four years, which was very important, was in my formal meditation, and I did this in some retreats, I took awareness of my whole body as my focus. I did this in formal meditation, where instead of the breath, I'd be aware of my whole body. And maybe next time I can take us through that in the, in the, in the, when we do the silent meditation together. But the technique I would sometimes use, it's not real, real intense focus on the body. What I would do would be kind of like I would imagine, almost like a child uh, with a coloring book, I'd imagine sort of the outline of the body, almost like I draw a line on the outline of the body, and then I'd kind of fill it in with awareness in a, in a relaxed way, not trying to really focus really tightly, but just have a, a, a large general awareness of the body. You can even try, try that right now. See if you can have that sense of the boundary of the body from the feet to the head, almost like you were coloring as a child. And then just fill it with awareness. And don't worry if it's incomplete, just do your best. And the meditation would be just to stay with this awareness. And when the mind wanders, come back to the whole body awareness. That's the meditation. Very, very simple. And I, I did that for quite a few years. And it really developed, and it, it, something really clicked to where it became possible to really access that with intention. Like if, like right now, I can have that whole body awareness as I'm talking. Because there's been enough integration, so I can trust that I don't have 100% of my awareness just on my thinking, but I can let the talking come from a different place, right? And I have done it enough, so I have trust that I'm not going to make some huge mess, right? When I was first doing this, I was a little bit a little bit tight, right? Better be careful. But then, you know, do it enough and can actually have uh, 
the talking take care of itself, but be grounded a little bit more in the body and in the heart. That's the direction that this is all going. So you might want to bring that meditation on the whole body uh, into, into your practice, if that appeals to you. Uh, you know, maybe I'll just say one or two more things, then we can open things up. Mindfulness of the body, out of all of what I mentioned, is a very powerful way to bring more awareness during the day. And if you practice the mindfulness of the body, it can be there more easily in walking, in doing the dishes, in talking, in doing all these different things. And in fact, uh, the person who taught me the uh, whole body practice was my friend and former mentor, uh, John Travis, whom some of you know, who is based in uh, Nevada City in California. And one day I was talking with John because he, he mentored me for, for probably about four years in, uh, as I was coming into teaching. And one day I was complaining. I was complaining really about how difficult it is to be aware in daily life. I was complaining and I said, you know, those people in monasteries, they have it easy. They have all that support. You know, all they're thinking about is awareness. You know, look at us in this daily life. It's hard, you know. We have computers and all this stuff. Email, oh my gosh. And, and I was complaining that basically that daily life awareness was hard. And John looked at me and he said, you know, because I'd been talking about how easy it is in monasteries. So I thought, you know, monasteries have their own difficulties, by the way, of course. Uh, but uh, his answer to me was, let your body be your monastery. Meaning, the body is always there. Let that awareness of the body be what continually brings you back to awareness. And when he said that, I said, whoa, I didn't say that actually, but I did the equivalent, right? I said that it was, it was like, uh, almost like electrifying for whatever reason, something really connected because I, I was practicing mindfulness of the body a lot then uh, and bringing it, trying to bring it into daily life and it really clicked. And, uh, and that was, uh, that really became near the center of my practice or let's say a really important part of my practice and still is. And so it's just another way to say that mindfulness of the body can be really, really crucial in our daily lives. Again, I didn't even mention some other ways we could do, uh, bring in mindfulness of the body. could do it in uh, eating meditation. Bring mindfulness of the body through mindfulness of uh, taste and smell. Have one meal a day where you're just mindful of the eating, right? That's a form of mindfulness of the body that will really be supportive. You know, if you do yoga or qigong, try to have mindfulness of body then. You know, I know when I, I did a, a lot of yoga for several years, and particularly when I did in classes, I would do yoga, and there was a certain amount of my mind that was comparing how my body looked, not so much in terms of appearance, but how it was with the postures, comparing them to others. Has anyone ever done that in a yoga class? <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, and can we have our, our mindfulness of the body be more central in, in doing yoga? So again, um, could be all of these ways to develop, uh, to develop mindfulness of the body. So let me, let me finish just with uh, a reading. This is actually from the uh, text from the Buddha, on mindfulness of the body. So I'll just finish with this. These, these, are the instructions, these are the classical instructions that we get from 2,600 years ago. And I think it's important to say that when the Buddha taught mindfulness, what was his starting point? Mindfulness of the body. That's where he started, right? That's the foundation. A practitioner, this is the Buddha, a practitioner is one who acts in full awareness when going forward and returning, who acts in full awareness when looking ahead and looking away, who acts in full awareness when flexing and extending one's limbs, 
who acts in full awareness when wearing one's robes and carrying the outer robe and bowl, who acts in full awareness when eating, drinking, consuming food and tasting, who acts in full awareness when defecating and urinating, who acts in full awareness when walking, standing, sitting, falling asleep, waking up, talking, and keeping silence. So that's from the Buddha. That's one way of talking about uh, this practice of mindfulness of the body. So in a moment, we'll go to discussion, but let me just invite people to take a moment of reflection and see if you're interested in focusing the next week on daily life practice. And if you are, see which of the practices appeal to you. And again, just take one or two, not too much. So, you know, I talked the last period of time about mindfulness of the body. That could be part of it, but maybe not. Maybe some of the other areas of practice I mentioned, such as just having your formal practice be more regular or taking two or three pauses during the day or focusing on awareness during an activity like walking, washing the dishes, brushing the teeth, and so forth. Out of everything I mentioned, which appealed to you if you're interested in giving an emphasis this next week? And then ask yourself also, what will help me remember this intention? What will help me remember to bring this intention into each day? You know, it might be having at the end of, if you do a morning sitting, maybe have bringing the intention to mind or put, put something in a written form, you know, I don't know, on your refrigerator or you know, your your board or some, somewhere where you'll see the message. What's going to help you to remember to make this real? So thanks very much for your kind attention. We have a, a nice, nice uh, portion of time for any uh, questions or sharing. Or could be sharing something that really helped you in your daily life. Yeah, I see Kathleen has her hand up. You could go first. You could use the raised hand function or raise your hand physically and I or uh, Tolan could notice. Um, yeah, and so... What? Yeah, just any anywhere you want to go with the discussion. Uh, Kathleen, please. Sure. So thanks. Thanks for that. Um, so I had a, a, a epiphany during the uh, the last portion that you were when you were talking about the um, the awareness of or the mindfulness of the body, and I was thinking when you first talked about integrating into daily life, I was thinking about just kind of like interleaving practice within different activities. But then it suddenly hit me when you talked about the body, that phrase, you know, neurons that fire together, wire together. Yeah. Yeah. And that idea that if I could bring in even the smallest amount of awareness into the physical life that my brain would actually change. Yeah. Yeah. And that, um, I would then carry that new way of thinking, being whatever into it, it would literally come into all of my life. 
And so what I'm going to, I think, first I have to just, that's kind of digest that. But I think what I'm going to try is the idea of pairing the physical awareness to something like, I like your idea of brushing teeth, because then every time I brush my teeth, that itself would be a trigger to remember it. So I think I'll start there and then just see where that takes me. But that was like a real, like I said, like a real epiphany, like, oh, this is actually literally integrating, not just, you know, putting something somewhere. So I really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much, Kathleen. I think you're you're right that when we do these practices, um, something gets changed in the brain, you know, or, you know, minimally, you know, it's a change in the brain when we make associations, when I associate brushing my teeth with it, with what I do with my mind, you know, like the, the brain, um, it's sometimes said really likes routines. And so if you, if it says, okay, Kathleen just gave us, or maybe Kathleen's brain said, okay, we just got a new, a new routine to integrate, uh, in the brain. Okay. Let's, let's do it. We let's, uh, we, and we're integrating this. We have a new routine of, uh, making association between awareness and brushing the teeth, right? And as we do that, the brain does change. And there are new, as it were, synapses and neural couplings and so forth. So it works like that. And and then uh, that's one of the real interesting things. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you. Thanks, Kathleen. Okay. It looks like uh, Victoria and then Harrison. Um, am I unmuted? Yeah, you're fine. Oh, okay. Hi, Victoria. Hi. Um, I, uh, I've been away for a while. um, So I'm, the last time I remember you speaking, um, when I was here, we were talking about the flow. And uh, so today I'm finding a kind of um, paradox because I know from my, the flow is something I'm very familiar with, as I've mentioned before, being a musician. And today, especially when you said, um, in terms of body awareness, we can um, we can practice that even if we're listening or talking. Yeah. And while I understand that, at the same time, it, it kind of triggered a like, well, what, what about being in the flow? Because I know even, for example, um, from my earliest childhood, one of the reasons I got into music was that every time um, my dad took me to a concert, I would literally not know anything except the music. And then at the end of the concert, I remember every single time, like barely being able to like get out of my seat, like I'd been totally stiff and totally as if I had like been somewhere else completely. Not that I recommend that, but it's um, so in terms of body awareness, it's intriguing to me, like how to balance that with being in the flow or is it not really a paradox? Uh I think in a way it is a paradox where it's a, uh, uh, it's a, it's a reality. I think it's a, it's actually a pretty important question uh, because some of what I've mentioned, you know, these practices um, can feel a little awkward at times where it feels like I'm just getting in the way of my normal flow, something like that. And I think it's helpful to understand that it's a, that when we do these practices, we're actually shifting a dominant pattern, a, a habit, a way of doing something. I can be in a very habitual mind, even my very automatic mind, and be in a flow and have no awareness of my body. And I can live like that and be in a flow, right? Mm-hmm. So the flow, being with the flow, doesn't mean that I'm necessarily aware of my body or my emotions. And so what we're looking for uh, so the flow in itself could mean that I'm still, you know, cut off in some way from my body. So what we're looking for is sort of, we could think of it as a training process that integrates our awareness with an activity. And that can feel a little bit artificial or awkward in the learning process. As the learning process proceeds, it becomes more and more intuitive 
and more and more can lead us to have those flow experiences. But in the interim, it can feel awkward and like the flow is not quite accessible. It's a little bit like, it's like learning anything, learning to play a musical instrument, learning to ride a bike. We're learning something new and that is, can feel a little awkward, not so natural and so forth. Mm -hmm. So, but then it's pointing towards the possibility as we, let's say, as we integrate the mind and body and emotions, it's pointing towards a new kind of flow experience that becomes possible. Thank you. So integration is the key. That's integration what I got. is the key. And to know that uh, when we're in the midst of learning something or focusing on something, it it can sometimes feel awkward or not natural or like, gosh, you know, when I took a walk earlier, I just felt so much just, you know, just whatever. And now it feels okay. I'm paying attention here and so forth. And it feels awkward. But that's how the learning process works. And as it becomes more and more integrated, it feels more and more natural. And those flow experiences are more and more accessible. So thank you so much for bringing that up. Because it really, that's a really crucial point. Because a lot of people might have that experience that, gosh, I'm doing this, it feels kind of awkward. Like I'm just you know, I'm not so much, I'm not so natural, but, uh, but what we're pointing to is a, as it were, a deepen, a much deepened sense of being natural. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. That's great. Thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Wonderful question. Thanks. Okay. Uh, Harrison, please. Hi, Donald. Hi. Um, I have a question uh, about, I feel like is a big part of daily life, but I haven't really heard much about in the Dharma, which is like dreams and sleep pretty much. Yeah. So I was on the last like January Metta retreat that was in person. Oh yeah. Um, and I would, you know, I'd be generating a lot of, of Metta during the day and I would feel full of love and everything, but I'd go back to the rooms at Spirit Rock and I'd go to sleep and I'd have like really like violent, like nightmares. And then, yeah. And then, uh, just this past week, I had like a whole week of dreams where it was like my like my girlfriend in my life was just like like barraging me with like she was like casting me out and she was and, and like telling me like everything that was wrong and then and then after that week like like she broke up with me so I was like I was like I felt like thanks intuition like you told me something I guess but it just felt like added like pain you know yeah so I'm wondering when we feel like that's kind of out of our control because unless you're like a practice lucid dreamer meditator, you know, it feels like it's something almost like outside of my control and practice. So I was, I was wondering if you have any tips about that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe I, I've brought this up from time to time because focusing on dreams has been very important for me for a really long time since I was probably since I was a child, because I would have sort of intense repetitive dreams as a child. Um, and I've been focusing on dreams probably since I was in my early 20s or so. With um, And there are many, many levels you can work with with dreams. You know, the, the more Western psychological approaches have a lot of value to them. You know, ways of interpreting dreams. I mean, just even the... Uh, so I, I personally give a lot of value to working with dreams. And multiple ways of working with them, you know, uh, to... The first step is just... Uh, having the intention to remember one's dreams. And you may have got the message from me at the meta retreat that having intense, almost nightmarish type dreams can be a good sign at a meta retreat. <laughs> uh, anyway, that's a, that's a whole other topic. But uh, uh, because we, we sometimes talk about those practices as like purification practices. And so having the openness to go into the hard stuff or the negative in a certain perspective is, is positive, right? Um, but in any case, there's, so there's a whole lot. And maybe I should just give a series of talks on working with dreams because uh, there's, there's a lot there. And another, you know, maybe another connection to make is that part of, you know, the broader context of this uh, in terms of daily life practice, maybe maybe what I'll get to, uh, you know, a little later is, you know, just how do we work in different ways with our minds, our hearts, our bodies, right? How, you know, what's the place of 
psychological work in terms of daily life practice? What's the place of working with any residual trauma that's there in our being? Uh, and so, yeah, maybe, maybe I'll be I'll be brief now, but maybe we can come back to that, you know, even for a whole uh, two or three talks or something. Because, uh, again, they're Western psychological approaches, which can be really helpful. Uh, I have studied the, the Tibetan approaches to uh, lucid dreaming and sleep yoga, sometimes called dream yoga and sleep yoga, and there's a tremendous amount there. You know, and there are some very good teachers in this, uh, you know, in, in the world, of course, in the Tibetan tradition. One person in the U.S. Who's, who I've studied with some is named Andrew Holacek. Some of you may know his work, H-O-L, uh, oh, I think, I guess it's H-O-L-O-C-E-K. And he wrote a very classic book called Dream Yoga. Uh, and he has a lot of stuff on his website if you want to look into that. It's not, not always easy. Lucid dreaming works more easily for some than others, but that's another way. So maybe we'll come back to that just to say it is, it can be a really significant part of daily life practice. So I'll try to work that into uh, uh, a later later work with daily life. So thanks for bringing that up, Harrison. Probably have time for maybe one more, if there's anyone. Let's see, Barbara, please. Hi, can you hear me? Yeah. Hi, Donald. Nice to see you. Hi. So ever since you started mentioning about the whole body, I've tried to be thinking about the whole body while listening to you. Yeah. And part of it, I feel like I'm going back and forth. Yeah. You, my body, you, my body. And I have words and I don't like the words. Like I'm think the words come in my mind and they say, I'm thinking about my body. now. Yeah. I want to be able to do it without those words, and I don't know how to get the words away and just go back and yeah, forth. Yeah, yeah. thanks for the question. It really helps me give a little more uh, depth of instruction on the whole body practice uh, because generally it's, um, it's, not, it's not really a good first step in terms of mindfulness of the body. Uh, it's, it's usually helpful to connect with the body with some simpler in some simpler ways first. So, for example, in listening to me, uh, especially when you're not talking directly to me as you are now, <laughs> but in just in listening, it would be easier to bring in mindfulness of the body just to have awareness of the hands or of the feet. So I'd recommend that as sort of a level one practice. If you want to explore mindfulness of the body, then I would say explore it First, informal meditation, and keep developing it there. Are, are you doing that some as well? What? Are you doing uh, the mindfulness of the whole body and formal meditation? No, I have a daily practice, but I haven't been doing the mindfulness. Yeah. If you want to, if you want to develop the mindfulness of the whole body, I would recommend doing that maybe for ten minutes a day in the formal meditation. And in terms of bringing awareness of the body into the daily flow, I would say be maybe be aware in a simpler way, just be aware of the hands or the contact with the chair or cushion or the feet, something like that. That's a little bit easier. And you'll get around that uh, issue of, uh, uh, you know, thinking about the whole body. Okay, thank you. <laughs> and then when you when you develop it enough, then you can bring it back and it'll be natural enough so you don't have to think about it. So the words won't keep coming. The words won't keep coming. But again, just to say mindfulness of the whole body is not is not generally so easy. It's a much vaguer object. It's way harder than just being aware of the hands or the feet. So the latter, the hands, awareness, the hands or feet are, are much better, like I said, sort of, first uh, first practice yeah but what if I think I'm just going to keep saying feet I mean I think the word I don't know oh, how to get okay. the word yeah well, well try it and find okay. find something that is easy enough so you can just uh, and it's, it's okay when you're first, this is kind of related to Victoria's question when you're first doing it it's okay for there to be a little awkwardness you know thinking about it naming 
foot, hand, or so forth, right. it'll tend to fade away after you get more used to it. That's what I wanted to know. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that, that's, thank, thank you for continuing with, with the back and forth. That's, that's a helpful point that came out. Great. Thank you. Okay, well, um, we're at the finishing time. So let's sit quietly again and bring to mind your own intention for how to deepen daily life practice. If you feel called in that way, what, how will, what one or two ways will you bring that uh, further? And then what will help you remember? What will help you remember every day? Your intention. And so we'll close in a traditional way with the, uh, with the dedication of merit. May the fruits and benefits of our time together be there for us, be there for people in our own lives, and may they also be shared beyond our own circles and boundaries with all beings. May our practice, may our mourning be of benefit to all beings, which includes us. So thank you, everyone. And if you want to, uh, if you'd like to uh, uh, put on your your video, if you'd like to put on your video, we can say goodbye and even talk to each other for a while. So till next time. Thank you. Thank you. You can unmute if you like, and we can talk together a little bit. Thank you, Donald. Thank you, everyone. Thank you very much. Yeah. Good time. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Donald. Sorry, my, my computer died when you were answering my question. Okay. That's okay. <laughs> Sorry about that. So you're on your phone now, right? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. May your computer come back to health. <laughs> Meta to your computer. <laughs> Thank you so much. I'm going to plug it in. Okay, very good. Okay. Please swim a lap for us. Okay, <laughs> thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. everyone. Good to see everyone. Have a good week. Thank you again, Tolan. Yay, Tolan. Yeah, thank you, Donald, for holding us. <laughs>